Rob Huber, thank you very much for taking my call despite your cold. No, it's always my pleasure. I always like making the time for you, Levon. Now, uh, the government of Canada uh, announced today that they and Irving Shield Building have identified Lockheed Martin Canada as the it was called preferred bidder to provide the design and the design team for the Royal Canadian Navy's future uh, warships, uh, the Canadian surface combatants. Uh, first reaction, uh, what do you make of it? Well, I, I'm glad that we're actually making a decision. I'm glad that we're going forward. I mean, it's always difficult to determine if um, if uh, the uh, DAE bid was uh, was the best bid. I mean, once again, not having you know none of us having access to the specifics. But I think that the thing that I'm most heartened is that we are moving forward and we're moving in a, a forward in a framework that is continuing to utilize the um, uh, the Canadian ship uh, uh, building uh, policy so that we're not going back and, and reinventing the wheel and delay, delaying the process even even more needlessly. Now, can you explain um, how this is going to work? So Irving Shipbuilding is the company that is actually going to build the ships, but uh, it has contracted another uh, or has sought designs from others? Yeah, uh, the, the decision was made that Canada was not going to design this new warship from the, uh, from the bottom up. And in fact, very few countries are now doing that. Rather, what, what was determined is that you'll recall back that we did develop this uh, Canadian ship uh, building policy. And what was ultimately determined is that Irving will be building all the combatant vessels, in other words, all the warships. The same decision, of course, had that out in Vancouver uh, was going to be building icebreakers, resupply vessel, members of the Canadian fleet, but not um, not combatants. Now, in order to design and build or to build the ship, you have to have a design. You have to have what you're going to be building. And what we did back in the uh, 1990s when we were building our current um, uh, fleet of frigates is uh, the winner of that bid, St. John Shipyard both built and designed the vessel. In this instance, what's happened is that uh, rather than having to develop the expertise and all the the challenges that come with it, this so-called off-the-shelf design was purchased. So a series of consortiums came together. Uh, There were three or four, just depending on how you're doing your counting, uh, who basically then said, we can design these vessels. In most instances, it's based on a pre-existing design, uh, the BAE um, uh, design, for example, is the Class 26 frigate for the uh, for the British. Uh, the other competing design was the 105 that the uh, Spanish are using, and then the Irving will will then work with these designs, Canadianize the design to make meet the the, the specific requirements of Canada, and then ultimately, in hopefully three four years. We're going to see Irving actually starting to build this new ship based on this design. Hmm. Do we know what the government was looking for, what kind of capabilities uh, we were looking for in these new uh, surface combatant ships? Well, I mean, it was to be, I mean, the, the broadest strokes is we were looking for something that can replace the capabilities in a modern war fighting environment of our existing frigates and destroyers. Now, our destroyers were what were referred to as area defense. So it was the idea that you could defend against air threats 
and defend not only yourself but ships that were sailing with you. The frigates are more sort of multi-purpose, but more, you know, anytime you're multi-purpose, you do any one of these multi-purposes a little less well. The idea being, of course, is that for these new surface combatants, you will have a, a, an anti-air capability to deal with both missile and uh, uh, aircraft threats. It will, of course, retain an anti-submarine capability and be able to do that in, in both a, a sort of normal, friendly environment, but also a high-intensity warfighting environment, i.e. one that pictures us going against an enemy that has very good capabilities and equipment. Hmm. How much uh, climate change is uh, figuring into this? Um, the the need, for example, for Canada to be able to sail its ships uh, in its Arctic waters. Well, these ships, uh, from my understanding, and once again, I could be corrected on this, but I have seen absolutely nothing that suggests that these vessels will be given any form of ice strengthening. The uh, vessels that the Navy will have for the Arctic uh, region will, of course, be the five AOPS and possibly six that we are now currently building. Uh, but in terms of sailing the surface combatants, you'd be able to sort of dabble a little bit at the edges, very much like we do now with the current frigates, but you're not going to go anywhere near any ice with these vessels because you're going to damage some very delicate sensors that they will undoubtedly be carrying under the hull. And um, and the type of design uh, elements that go into making it ice-capable take away some of the warfighting capabilities. So I don't, I'm not expecting to see any real um, uh, elements for, to give it a, a, a northern a focus. It won't be an Arctic focus, that's for sure. But perhaps it might be some type of strengthening of, uh, of the hull or strengthening around the propellers and, um, and, uh, and, and rudder. But that has not been publicly really released, and nor am I really expecting to see it. Now, of course, uh, these ships uh, will uh, function, uh, you know, in the future, and we're looking at the uh, dramatically changing uh, kind of geopolitical map. Uh, what are some of the biggest threats that they will have to uh, work, uh, you know, uh, against? Well, it's going to be a combination high-tech threat, because when we look forward to the developments that are occurring in both the Russian and the Chinese Navy, and those are usually the two um, peer competitors uh, that most people are pointing to, two of the technologies that really are starting to, I think, get people's attention, well, three, actually. The first one is, of course, the what's called hypersonic missiles. These are going more than five or six times the speed of sound, and give you a very limited response. So any new warships that we're designing are going to have to have the capability of being able to detect these missiles, either by itself or tying into a more network system, and then be able to respond by shooting down the, mis the missile. Once again, also a very, very challenging task. The second part that these ships have to deal with is the, the greatly expanded danger that electronic uh, cyber warfare is now, now presenting. The irony is that in order to respond to these, these hypersonic missiles, you need to rely on an advanced array of computerization and a capability that in many instances go beyond the ability of a human to react. But at the same time, you are creating vulnerabilities because as we've seen with, say, attacks in the Ukraine on some of their power stations and elsewhere, 
Um, at the same time that you're firing the missiles, the enemy will probably be trying to interfere with your your ability to to respond. So, I mean, for fans of Battlestar Galactica, it's sort of that idea that the, when the Cylons were able to turn off the electronics of the uh, of the human fleet, this is exactly the type of reality that we're facing. The third element that these ships are going to have to somehow be able to encapsulate is that we're fully expecting that the Chinese in particular will be developing combat systems that take advantage of artificial intelligence. Now, what that looks like, they're just in the first initial baby steps of it, but you're going to have to be designing a system that, in fact, is able to to, to respond and react going into the 30-, 40-year period of when we expect to see a lot of these new technologies coming into their own. Hmm. Now, uh, one other thread that was talked about until uh, a lot about until recently is North Korea and uh, the ability to shoot down uh, ballistic missiles. Are are you seeing any uh, signs that, um, you know, some kind of... uh, anti-ballistic missile defense capability uh, that the ships will have this kind of capability? Well, it remains a possibility because when you're trying to figure out how to deal with hypersonic missiles, you're not going that much further out than to how to figure out how to deal with hypersonic ballistic missiles. I mean, generally speaking, most people at the maritime side are thinking cruise hypersonic missiles. But it's entirely conceivable that you're going to have to be dealing with a threat of ballistic hypersonic missiles. And so as a result, would these ships then also have the capability of taking on a maritime ABM capability? And I would think where we sit right now in 2018, it would be something that we could assign the ships. The issue is how much is this going to cost in other sort of say, the ability to fight submarines or aircraft, you know, how much how much do you give up to get that ability, um, and what abilities then do you have to surrender? And on that part, I have, that that's getting into the, the, the secret element of exactly what type of sensors and, um, and, and war fighting capabilities these new frigates will have, frigates and destroyer, I guess surface combatants is the safest way to say it. Hmm. Well, thank you very much. I really appreciate you taking the time to speak with me. Always a pleasure.